Can we be fully against abortion if we're not committed and if we don't already have in place the infrastructure to support every mother, her family, and her child? An important question that I'm going to dive into today. Stay tuned. Hi, folks. My name is Cam. I am the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a show dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so together we can change minds, save lives, and transform our culture. Thanks a ton for tuning in. Um, and I'm excited to dive back into another more traditional style apologetics podcast. I've done a few uh, podcasts over the last little bit, obviously, focusing on our Faces of Abortion tour, which we're really excited about at CCBR. I've had the pleasure of doing a couple talks on this tour already. Um, in Regina, as well as building components into it, into workshops that we've done in Calgary, in Edson, Alberta, a few other communities. We've got more trips coming up. Um, if you haven't already uh, clicked into our upcoming events, you can do so at endthekilling.ca slash tour. But that's not actually the focus of today's episode. Today, I'm actually responding to a question sent in by a longtime friend and supporter um, from my Victoria days. So I'm hopefully going to be seeing him while we're back in Victoria. Thank you, Roman, for sending this in. Roman um, sent in the question that he received from a good friend of his. And it, it goes like this, quote, in my view, abortion is not an issue that can be either defended outright or outright condemned in the absence of social will to resolve the issues of adequate care for mothers, infants, and families. And I think it's a really, really important question to ask. How can we be fully opposed to abortion if we don't have the infrastructure to support mothers? And I think that even if we were to break down this question into two components, I think that there's an important focus that has to do with whether or not we have the immediate infrastructure or whether we have, in the words of this question, the social will to resolve the issue. And I want to start by tackling the, so, the social will component. I think this is such an important one. And thank you, Roman, for sending this in. Um, for the rest of you in, in the audience, please don't hesitate to send in your um, topics that you'd love for me to cover. I will try my best to cover them in a timely manner. I know that I've got one or two waiting in the inbox that I will be getting to later on this summer. But I think that this is a really important one, especially during our internship um, that we're hosting at CCBR here, because we have so many touch points and interactions with people. And because of that, there's so many more people thinking about abortion in many ways over the summer because we're doing things like our crash cross Canada tour because, I mean, recently we were debating in, in Parliament um, the Cassie and Molly's law, this um, pre-born victims of crime legislation that tragically didn't pass. We're going to have an episode on that coming up in the near future as well. And where we're at. And so I think that the question of whether or not we can outright condemn abortion in the absence of the social will to resolve the issue I think that simply speaks to the importance of the educational arm of the pro-life movement. So often within the pro-life movement, I, and sometimes this is just viewed as like um, shop talk, I suppose, of, of conversations that might happen internal, but many of those who are either new to the pro-life movement or haven't really delved into the nuance of how different organizations fit together might not be familiar with the fact that there are actually three distinct but collaborative wings within the pro-life movement. And we often characterize them as the crisis arm of the pro-life movement, the political arm of the pro-life movement, and the, and the educational arm of the pro-life movement. To share a little bit more about each of them, 
the crisis arm of the pro-life movement are the incredible centers, churches, um, individuals across the country that are coming at the abortion issue from a kind of crisis perspective of how do we support the mothers and fathers who are currently um, experiencing challenging pregnancies. These are um, pregnancy care centers. These are churches that have um, counseling ministries and material support ministries. Obviously, they often go very far beyond the material support. I think that so often we only think of pregnancy care centers as having a massive stock of diapers and baby bottles, and that's all they do, when in reality, the vast majority of them have a very comprehensive approach, not only to navigating pregnancy, but also um, supporting mothers and families through whatever challenges they have, both before the child is born and long after the child is born as well. Um, connecting them with whether it be low-income housing, whether it be relationship counseling and support, whether it be literally um, legal support and defense if they're looking for child support or whether they're victims of sexual assault, whether it is literally just parenting guidance and mentorship. There's often a tremendous array of support and guidance, both material, emotional, uh, mental, psychological, spiritual, all sorts of resources that are available to moms. And so the crisis arm is in many ways bedrock, but in many ways as well, while entirely necessary, also entirely insufficient, because tragically in Canada, it is impossible to make abortion, uh, sorry, it is impossible to make pregnancy easier than how easy abortion is perceived to be. What do I mean by that? Well, for the vast majority, tragically, of Canadians, abortion is perceived to be this great reset button that you can have an abortion on a Friday afternoon and you're back to work on Monday and everything goes back to normal. You don't miss work. You don't miss school. You don't even have to tell your boyfriend, your husband, your church, your community, your family, anybody. Nobody needs to know. Nobody needs to be aware of the fact that there has been this quote unquote pregnancy scare. And therefore, you just get to go back to living your life as usual. Now, many of us in the pro-life movement would acknowledge that surely abortion is nowhere near that simple or convenient that not even to talk in depth about post-traumatic stress disorder as it relates to abortion, post-abortion syndrome, the shock waves that we've talked about on this show um, on a number of episodes this year already, and the impact that abortion has on so many mothers and fathers in our nation. Um, even with that, I don't think that we can fully comprehend just how important it is to make abortion more challenging, right? Because we, as much as we must make pregnancy easier to navigate, we must make it more manageable, more, um, dare I say, more comfortable, alleviating a lot of the pain and difficulties physically, emotionally, so, um, psychologically that mothers endure, fathers as well, obviously. Um, we, we certainly need to resolve a lot of that. But tragically, at the end of the day, if abortion doesn't kill an innocent human being, or at the very least, if our society doesn't recognize that abortion directly and intentionally kills an innocent human being, then why would we bother investing into all of these other solutions? Why would we bother investing into making pregnancy easier if abortion isn't actually a human rights violation? Right? And so if if abortion can be likened to trimming your your fingernails or cutting your hair or uh, even like a, a tonsillitis kind of surgery, not killing a human being, a purely elective procedure that a mother may choose with no ramifications on any other human beings, then it's a bit of a fool's errand to make pregnancy easier. Why wouldn't we just solve that problem by offering her an abortion? That's where the, um, the educational arm comes in. 
right? That we need to change hearts and minds on the injustice of abortion, not only so that pregnant mothers and fathers appreciate the horrors that abortion is and will do to their preborn child, and therefore help them to resolve and appreciate the fact that they cannot navigate whatever it is that they're going through by having an abortion. Therefore, they must seek out the support of their family, their church community, their um, local pregnancy care center, that sort of thing. In many ways, we must um, demonstrate the injustice of abortion and help people appreciate that this is absolutely and in all circumstances inappropriate to solve challenging pregnancies before we can actually expect them to access the alternative support that's available. Because if they don't accept that principle that abortion kills an innocent human being and that we cannot kill innocent human beings to solve even the most challenging of problems, if they don't embrace that point, then sure, they might go into um, the pregnancy care center and peruse about a bit, but if they don't see any reason to take a more challenging road, then why pursue that? Right. In in many ways, it's a matter. I I often make the analogy of if you don't know that one shop producing a T-shirt is using child labor and working in heinous conditions, and another shop is using um, only the most ethical of solutions, and you look at the price tags on the exact same T-shirt, and it's five times as expensive at the ethical one as it is at the unethical one, but you have no idea about the ethics of making t-shirts, why would you spend five times the amount if you didn't have a good reason to do so? The same thing applies to pregnancy and abortion. Why would you navigate the challenges of pregnancy, not even to mention all of the hurdles, all of the beautiful and yet challenging um, hurdles that come from parenting, right? Because we cannot forget, we cannot pretend as though a mother's life is only impacted for those nine months that she's pregnant, right? I mean, it's not nine months, it's not 18 years until the child moves out. It is literally the rest of their life. And so we cannot fathom the notion of compelling somebody to parent and literally change their role in society so fundamentally. Why would you do any of that if abortion doesn't kill an innocent human? And so we must start the conversation, not with the support that's available, but rather with the why that support must be accessed. And by that, we're able to change hearts and minds and direct people towards those crisis arms of the pro-life movement, local um, entities like your local birthright um, chapter, like your local um, pregnancy support chapter, churches that are doing this, even um, the, the emerging online resource. I think of um, Laura Clausen and her ministry at Choice for Two and how they've really transcended the brick and mortar approach to pregnancy support, but rather go largely online with online gift registries and counseling and support, all that kind of thing. And so I think that's the first reflection with regards to how we can outright condemn abortion without um, a, a holistic resolve to, to do that. First of all, there is a tremendous amount of resolve already to support these mothers and fathers. We have pregnancy care centers that have their parenting classes go unfilled because people don't view the necessity of parenting the child, but rather um, prefer the abortion choice. And so we need to take abortion off of the table before people are even willing to pursue the support that is already available. 
And that brings me to the second point, that while our primary objective of doing pro-life education, talking to people on street corners and on doorsteps, is to change their hearts and mind on abortion so that they never have an abortion themselves and that people within their spheres of influence are never um, pushed towards an abortion decision by the person we're talking to, so often what we're doing, and I alluded to this two weeks ago in my my kind of rambly episode. I'm sure many of the, the episodes are perceived as rambly, but I, I feel like that one was more rambly than most. But why we should care in the first place, that in many ways, by doing pro-life outreach, by convincing people that abortion is an inappropriate solution, we end up pushing people not simply towards if they themselves ever become pregnant, then abortion is not an appropriate solution, but rather towards what can you and I do? Um, meaning the person that I'm talking to on a street corner or on a doorstep, what can you and I do to build that social resolve to address the issues that mothers and fathers and families are faced with? How can you contribute towards um, the, the suffering that so many people are experiencing? How can you contribute towards resolving that solution that we absolutely need to resolve the hardship that so many mothers and fathers are faced with and while, yes, we can point towards um, the solutions that are already available, um, we absolutely need far more. As, as so many people are very willing to point out, there are 100,000 preborn children killed every year in abortion. And if every one of those children were born next year, how would we possibly facilitate um, a high caliber, high quality of life? Well, obviously, in many ways, by changing hearts and minds on abortion, we are leading towards a change in behavior. I, I think often, I'm sure that I've shared it on this show a number of times before, about the episode that I did on Great.com Talks With. Um, it was an episode that I did with a fellow from the UK who shared with me after the episode was done that he actually had to have a conversation with his girlfriend because if they became pregnant, they could no longer rely on abortion as a backup plan. And so that may very well dramatically change the nature of their relationship. That we don't have to necessarily get into the nitty gritty components of abstinence for people to realize that if abortion is not available as a backup plan to contraception, then their sexual behaviors and habits must change because they can't do away with the um, consequences of failed birth control simply by killing that child through abortion. And so again, this comes back to we need to build social resolve through our commitment to the fact that abortion is never morally appropriate, that we must absolutely change hearts and minds on this, this issue if they're ever going to invest into alternative resolutions, right? And just as we have to change hearts and minds of pregnant mothers and fathers for them to be willing to even consider alternatives, we must change hearts and minds of men and women like you and I if they're going to invest into alternative, more challenging, more involved solutions for navigating parenthood, right? Because if they say, okay, well, either a tiny fraction of my tax dollars go towards abortion, or I'm required to financially invest into the crisis arm of the, of the pro-life movement, not even to mention um, consider political reform when it comes to education, when it comes to working from home, when it comes to all of these other social factors that currently pose barriers from mothers being both parents and employees or parents and students or parents and any number of other things that they wish to pursue during their life. Why would you bother investing into 
uh, a post-secondary system of online education when that person can just attend in-person classes after having had an abortion. So again, we must demonstrate the principle that abortion is not an appropriate solution, not only for the mothers and fathers who are contemplating abortion as a solution, but also for all of the contributors towards these other solutions. We must have a very defensible, very holistic, very complete stance on the morality of abortion before we can empower them and before they will appreciate the necessity of actually investing into alternative solutions because, to put it plainly, if abortion does not kill an innocent human being, then it's not worth their time, their money, or any of their thought to resolve the, the hardship that mothers and fathers are faced with. They should just be advocating for abortion more severely. And so again, that kind of approaches both of those, I do think that there is something very poignant that must be said with regards to how we offer that support. That tragically, especially here in Canada, we, we talk to a lot of folks who have a, at times skewed, but I, I would argue, um, and this might be a bit of a hot take, at times an accurate take on Republican Party policy with regards to abortion. That it, it seems certainly from Arms, armchair politics, it seems as though the Republican Party and other pro-life parties around the world are saying, you know what, we're going to strip mothers of abortion access, and then we're also going to strip them of all of the social services, welfare, and other components that are going to help them care for their children, both before that child is born and after the child is born. And so in, in some ways, it's kind of reversing it to pro-lifers and by, by extension um, to Republicans by saying that you can't have your cake and eat it as well. That you can't ban abortion, but also not support mothers who are going through challenging pregnancies. You have to either not support mothers going through pregnancy, but offer them abortion as the solution, as unfortunately, dare I say, that the Democrats are all too willing to do, and other um, parties around the world, but also either that or be against abortion legally, but pro-systematic support of pregnant mothers and, and mothers of young children and, and older children as well. And I know that this gets really dicey because it comes into the whole state involvement and do we trust the state to be involved and how inefficient is the state and all that kind of thing. And I think that if we're going to adapt that worldview, which I, I fully encourage many people to, to accept and embrace, then the gauntlet has been thrown down to you, your church, and your community. That until government programming is deemed unnecessary and entirely redundant, as soon as mothers have access to um, child support and um, financial aid and psychology counseling and all sorts of other resources, as soon as that is all provided by the church, by the community, by individuals, and the church is and sorry, the state is entirely redundant, then. I think that we at least have to be ready for the conversation as to how can we be an outright condemner of abortion if we're not willing to support social policy that is going to support mothers and fathers. I agree that there is a hot debate to be had as to whether or not that social policy should be directed and facilitated by the, the church or the state or the individual. That is a different question, though. I think that at the very least, we as pro-lifers have to acknowledge that if we are going to hold the worldview that we cannot solve these problems by killing innocent humans, 
we must be dedicated towards at the very least having the pretense of infrastructure that we are trying to build people towards for how we alternatively support these mothers and fathers. And so whether that's connecting them with the existing pregnancy support and resources, whether that's connecting them with individuals and churches in the community that can offer that mentorship, um, emotional, psychological, and material support, or whether that's looking at a Hungarian model of pregnancy support and government um, in involvement that looks at how does the government and state um, facilitate the support of families, regardless of whether you think this is a state issue or a church issue, you must be committed, I firmly believe, to having some semblance of where are we pushing people to get involved. Because you can't say, please be against abortion, but also please don't even think about supporting mothers and fathers who are um, navigating challenging pregnancies. I think that it has to be a both and. However, the route that you direct people in can have some nuance in it, depending on not only the... Um, the region, the um, institutions that you're a part of, the the access that is available already. Maybe you already have holistic pregnancy support and um, parenting support through early childhood and, and long into parenting after that. Maybe that's already provided through your local pregnancy care center. Maybe that's already provided through a number of churches in the area. Maybe that's already provided by your local, regional, or federal government. Whatever that may be, I think that it that it is a valid statement that if we are going to condemn all abortions, we must appreciate that abortions happen for a reason, and that those difficulties that mothers and fathers are faced with demand appropriate solutions. I agree that abortion is never an appropriate solution. Once we get that off of the table, this is no longer an option, and so we're not weighing abortion against other options, but rather abortion is no longer considered as viable in any way because it's recognized that you cannot kill innocent humans to solve problems. Then we must be directing people towards resolving the hardship that mothers and fathers are faced with. Acknowledging that even if we do a poor job of it, even if we're not as comprehensive as we need to be, that's something that we can build for in the future, but that doesn't open the door again to abortion, right? That abortion is not okay, even if the pro-life movement fails in alleviating all of the, the suffering that mothers and fathers are faced with. That even if there is no... Um, concrete support, you still cannot kill humans to solve problems. And I'll conclude this by way of analogy, that we look towards the past for other examples. And we look at something like slavery, slavery in Canada, slavery in America, slavery around the world. Would we ever say that we cannot be opposed universally to slavery, that slavery is never morally appropriate, and even push towards legislation banning slavery, that we cannot be actually um, outright condemning slavery until we have comprehensive and universal resolutions to all of the challenges that a slave owner might be faced with, that we might say, okay, well, these slave owners have these large families, how are they going to provide for their families if they don't have the free labor picking their cotton? It seems absolutely obnoxious to make that analogy, but I think that there are parallels between this um, and abortion and countless other examples as well, that it's not a matter of we can't outright condemn injustice until we have perfect solutions to all of those um, factors contributing towards the injustice, but rather we must oppose wholeheartedly and fully condemn the injustice 
through clarity and education to compel perpetrators of injustice to not commit that injustice while also empowering other members of the community towards investing their time, treasure, and talent towards um, more appropriate and um, more moral and legal solutions towards that end. And so I know that I covered a lot there. I feel like I was talking very quickly, so I apologize if you got to put that on 0.75 speed on your um, podcatcher. Again, to address the question that, quote, abortion, in my view, is not an issue that can be either defended outright or outright condemned in the absence of the social will to resolve the issue of adequate care for mothers, infants, and families. We absolutely need to provide that care and that those solutions that um, the, the difficulties that mothers are faced with demand. However, we cannot resolve every problem until we've demonstrated the principle to both mother and member of the society um, that abortion is not an appropriate solution, that we must um, wholeheartedly and in all circumstances at all stages of pregnancy condemn abortion with clarity and compassion so that mothers realize that this is not an appropriate solution. They must look towards the support that may already be available. And while doing so as well, empower the people that we are speaking with and engaging with to invest into solutions that do appropriately address the challenges that they are facing, um, whether that be through church, state, or the individual. So hopefully that makes sense. Thanks again, Roman, for submitting that. Um, Roman, don't hesitate to, to send a follow-up if I've missed a mark a little bit on this. If you have other feedback um, or, or things that you want to suggest on this, please don't hesitate. And everyone in our audience, please don't hesitate to send me in content as well. I look forward to trying to address each and every one of them as I get the chance. Thanks for bearing with me through this tour. If you haven't already attended one of our tour talks, and if there's any way that you can do so, please please, please do. I think this is an absolutely vital kind of reinvigoration for many, in many ways of the pro-life movement and a great way to engage your community in meaningful interactions on abortion by anchoring um, all considerations in the victims themselves. And so thanks a ton for tuning in. Um, I look forward to being back again next week. I think that next time you hear from me, I will most likely be in Victoria connecting with many of our, uh, my friends and supporters from out there. And so shout out to everybody on the West Coast of Canada. And with that said, I pray that God may bless you abundantly wherever you're at, however many hours are left in your day. Thank you.